Good to be able to rejoice in the Lord. We take a moment to ask for his mercy also on his word tonight. Heavenly Father, we do pray that your word may be that lamp to our feet, light to our path, that he who inspired the word, the Holy Spirit, that he may be at work also in us to enlighten our hearts so that in the response to your word, in the reading of your word, in the ministry of your word, and as we leave this place and seek to live out your word in faith, your name might be glorified along with the Son and Spirit, the one only God. We would pray in Christ's name that these things would occur. Amen. So we look tonight at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And it was interesting to hear from Dr. Derek Thomas Monday and Tuesday, he was speaking about how the Apostle Paul, this was his last letter, and it was at a time in his life where, as an imprisoned person in the gospel, was facing some very dour, dire times. And uh, so he had some last things that he wanted to point out to Timothy and to the church as well, having to do with what uh, Timothy had been following since his youth, and uh, that being the Word of God, and also the example that he had, that the Apostle Paul had been to Timothy in the years that they had spent together. So we look at this portion from God's Word in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17. We are also uh, taking a look at the Belgian Confession again tonight. Uh, it's our calling uh, typically to have a service where we're preaching about uh, the confessions, or out of the confessions. Uh, most uh, of the time that would be the Heidelberg Catechism, but also called other confessions as well, and that includes the Belgic Confession. We're looking at Article 3 tonight from page 70 in the back of the Psalter Hymnal. But before we look there, we look to the Word, and we hear this from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to have, live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Thank God for his word. We take a moment to respond and see what Article 3 has to say in the Belgian Confession. Last time we looked at the fact that God reveals himself in creation, but he also reveals himself in his word. 
And then we get a little bit more of a detail of that in Articles 3 through 7 that deal with the Word of God in the Belgian Confession. So we read uh, from Article 3 today. We confess that this Word of God was not sent nor delivered by the will of man. But that man spake from God being moved by the Holy Spirit, as the Apostle Peter says. And that afterwards, God, from a special care which he has for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets, and apostles to commit his revealed word to writing. And he himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. Therefore we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when a, a, a product stands out from among the rest, you and I, when we get wind of that, are often drawn to it. At least we're drawn to it if we have a need for it, if it fills a need for us. It's worth it for us to check it out, to use it. If we find a product that's outstanding for our business, uh, we won't settle for less uh, if we can afford not to, or we, we realize we can't afford not to. If we find a product that works well in our home, we're going to stick with it until uh, we find something else that, that's better. But a lot of times, uh, we'll stick with it <laughs> through thick and thin because, we, in a sense, we believe in it. Uh, I, my mother used to be like that a lot. There were certain things that if, if I came home, if I was a child, and if, if I, she said, can you go out and get me something, Johnny? Because that she was one of the people, one of the few people who would call me that. But she would say, can you go out and get me something at the store? And if I came home with a, the wrong kind of soap or the, the wrong kind of, uh, of uh, a product of some sort that wasn't quite the name brand, then she'd be wondering, well, what is wrong with you? Why didn't you bring home what I normally use? Because I believe in that product so much. Well, certain products and certain people, for that matter, can tend to stand out in the crowd for our appreciation, for our benefit, for our admiration. And Scripture works like that. <coughs> it's not in vain that we call Scripture holy Scripture. It's set apart from the rest of all writing. It's set apart from all other writing because it is divine and holy scripture. And because it stands out from the rest, its benefit to us and its purposes for us stand out from the rest as well. And we want to focus a little bit tonight then on the inspiration of Holy Scripture. It's their source and their purpose. The Scripture's source and their purpose. Their source cannot be disconnected from their purpose, and their purpose cannot be properly understood without an appreciation for their source. Both are so vital to any Christian confession so that people might know with security and surety the blessing proclaimed in Holy Scripture. So we focus 
on the source, first of all, of the inspiration of Scripture. And focusing on that point, uh, we want to uh, consider how some people incorrectly view the source of Scripture. Because for some people, the inspiration of Scripture has nothing unique to declare. But if we don't see its unique inspiration, we don't benefit from its message. Yet some would say that the Bible is, is no more inspired than any other writer that has penned anything. Uh, or any writing, I should, that has been penned by any other person. Uh, we might consider it a, a noble work or an attractive work uh, or something that draws our attention that way, but, but, but nothing unique in, in and of itself inspiration-wise. It's not that people would particularly not consider it inspired, just not by God, at least not any more than any other grand works of, of men or women that have been uh, to people inspirational to them. They see it as, as of great character, of notability, or it's, it's something that uh, every class in school at, at some level wants to read this particular portion because it's, it, it holds some kind of notoriety to it, or, or it speaks to something quite accurately, uh, or something else that's somehow remarkable about it. Some may even go as far as to say that, that those who write, who wrote it, were illumined in a certain way, but no more than any other believer in God who, who's been illumined in their religious views, or anybody else for that matter, who writes something that uh, seems to hold the test of time. Others will say along those lines that while the scriptures may be inspiring, and similar to this, it is not itself inspired. And by its grand tones and its themes that it may inspire others, but it is not God-inspired. Others say that, that while it's not God's word in essence, it can become that. It can become the word of God if people... Uh, find it useful to them, if people respond to it positively. At that moment, for some, they, they will look at it that way, it will become the Word of God. But it is not the Word of God in and of itself, not until somebody uh, feels uh, an attraction to it and, and, or wants to live by it. But otherwise, it's just plain literature. Ordinary literature. Others will speak of what they call a thought inspiration, where God may give the thoughts that He wants uh, uh, to the writers that He uh, to consider, uh, but that in the process the human writers will fall short of actually reflecting those divine thoughts on paper. There's just this chasm between God and and man, and that while God may give these thoughts that he wants uh, his writers to consider. They don't always get it right, and maybe never get it right. There are others troubled by what is perceived to, 
to be historical discrepancies who will distinguish between what is historically accurate and what is doctrinally accurate. So that we can, we can take the general teachings to heart, but not the historical narratives or observations. Don't, don't uh, worry yourself about whether these things really happened, if they were meant to be uh, written to seem to be historical. Don't worry about that. Just, just take out of it what you can. Just take the lesson out of it. It's almost like Mother Goose that way, or, or some kind of uh, nursery rhyme, or something of that sort. You hear a story about the three bears, boys and girls, and you see Goldilocks going into somebody's house without permission, and you go, well, I'm not going into anybody's house without permission, because I'm going to get chased by three bears or something like it. So that's my moral of my story. Uh, now that didn't actually happen, but I can, I can take the moral out of it. And, uh, and, and that's good enough for me. I get the teaching, even if it's a fairy tale. And what all these areas, of course, and these ideas have in common is that none of them want to give credence to the idea that the scriptures are uniquely, like our confession makes, states, holy and divine. Which it derives that from what we're reading today and, other, and, the, and the rest of the scripture. Because all the proponents of these theories and ideas, for them, scripture is nothing special. Not uniquely so. It, it, since it's written by men, or by the will of men, so would the argument go, it cannot be what perfectly expresses and reflects the word of the divine, the word of God. And yet the Christian confession cannot settle for such a low view of scripture. Not when the scripture itself doesn't testify to itself in that way. If it's testifying to itself that way, then either it's true or it's a lie. And if it's a lie, if you don't want to give it that credence when it says that that's what it is, then why do you consider it noble or inspiring or what have you? Because it's testifying something about itself that it is not. If it indeed it is not the word of God. But our passage this evening is just one place where the scriptures will not settle for less from people that a belief in the belief that all, all of scripture is God breathed. All of it. Not just part of it or none of it. It's breathed out by God. It's the Spirit of God at work in the Word. And this doesn't leave us uh, to a mere you know, mechanical view of inspiration. As if God dictated to the man who wrote Scripture in some kind sort of robotic way. And he just grabbed his hand and there he started writing it and, and uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't stop. Admittedly, it's amazing as to how God could use all kinds of people, all kinds of situations, 
using different forms of writing at various times in biblical history to declare his word to the world and specifically to his people. But just because it's amazing doesn't mean it's not true. All scripture is God-breathed. And it has to be that way in order for us to stake our time and our eternities on it. If we cannot trust one part of Scripture, then how do we know we can trust any of it? Who are we to decide what, what parts are worthwhile trusting? Why should we otherwise you know, follow a document that's, that's just written merely by a, a number of people who lived 2,000 years ago and beyond that? Because if all things else equal, I'd rather follow somebody that's a little bit more up to date then. If there's nothing special about these writings beyond a human inspiration, then where is the obligation to, to follow its precepts and its callings and trust it in its promises? What, what do a, a bunch of dead people from long ago have to say about that which I should be placing my hope today? I'll listen to somebody living. But if the Bible, if Scripture is divine and holy, then it's like what our young people heard this morning in their catechism lesson, then we better pay attention to it. Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. If you thought it was important to pay attention to the Word of God in the Old Testament, said the writer to Hebrews, then how much more so today, since Christ has come, and since the apostles have testified to His coming and His resurrection and His crucifixion, and have had that confirmed through signs and wonder. I better pay even more attention then. Because my eternal salvation depends on it. They make me wise unto salvation. Then this is something to which I need to be listening from the earliest time and onward. Right? That our Bibles are open in our houses. We're not just waiting for somebody else to take care of it. Right? We, 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 don't, we don't wait until they grow up and enough and then we can send them to school and then somebody else can tell our children about the worthy things that God has done. You know, when, when we sing the song, Let Children Hear the Mighty Deeds Which God Performed of Old, The writer of that psalm wasn't thinking first about the school. They need to hear that in our houses, don't they? They need to hear this from the earliest time. 
and onward, then they need to see that this word that we are looking at from Genesis to Revelation is, is not just by the will of man, it's, it's the will of God. We need to show that it's important to us so that by God's grace they will see that it's important to them from the earliest time onward. So that these boys and girls that are here, as they're growing up, they can say the same thing that Paul could say about Timothy. That from childhood, I've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make me wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When I hear Scripture, then, I need to believe that when it speaks, it's saying, thus says the Lord. Only then can that word be, as our passage points out, and as our second point fleshes out, that which has profit and purpose. Scripture as the divine word of the Lord is a scripture that has its purpose. It has its purposes. A confession says that the purpose is so that God can care for us and for our salvation the special care which the Lord has for us in our salvation is why it was written. Over the years, you know, some people will ask you that. Well, how many funerals have you done over the years, John? And, and I honestly couldn't tell you. I suppose I could do some math and figure that out. Early on in my ministry, I, I used to do one a month. When I was in Sheldon, I, my church had 500 people in it at that point. And it wasn't unusual for a few of those years that I would conduct a funeral once a month. And you get to do funerals here, there, and everywhere. Uh, the longer you live and the longer you're in ministry. And when you're involved with that, there's much that the people who are at funerals need to hear. They need to hear that there's a Savior who's Christ the Lord. They, they need encouragement, which again is one of the things Romans 15.4 says, that one of the reasons why the scriptures were written, to encourage and to help endure as God's people, they need comfort, they need to be challenged. They've never appreciated the gospel. They need perspective. And you know, it isn't going to come from the word of John Vermeer, and it, is, and it isn't even going to come, first and foremost, based on what I know about the person who died. Sometimes when you're conducting a funeral, you don't know a whole lot about the person. And, and people used to ask me that, and I remember even when I was a student, way back when, in my late 20s, and one of my professors said, what are you going to say to somebody who says, well, how can you do a funeral about somebody with somebody that you don't even know? 
Well, the reason why you can do that is because the word that needs to come out of your mouth first and foremost is not about Fred or Agnes or Irene or, or whoever it is. That might be something the relatives will, will chime in on. And, and, it's, yeah, and certainly you want to be able to mention, don't forget the biblical example that certain people were, but see what that does. It's still bringing you back to what you do know. And what people need to hear from you. And that's the Word of God. And the special care which the Lord has for people in those cases comes from the Word of God. That's why I read a lot of Scripture at funerals. That's why you minister the word at funeral. Because when you're staring death in the face and you've lost someone dearly, you need your focus on God and His Christ. And that's what the Word of God will give. And those who believe in it, they're the ones that receive that special care that He has for those who rest their salvation in Him. That's where it comes from. It's when these people can have the Word of the Lord ministered to them in Jesus Christ. We had... We had prayer this morning in council, and one and the person who prayed prayed that I might be able to minister the word. I like that right? because you're serving the word of God to people for their edification, for their salvation. You look at our passage tonight. All Scripture isn't just God breathed, but it's profitable. It's profitable. It serves a purpose. It's beneficial as that which is uniquely inspired, exhaled in expression by God. God's Word has many purposes. It, we read that it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness. We know that it is what makes us wise unto salvation. It encourages those in need of comfort in times of crisis and loss and pain and grievance. Scripture speaks a word of salvation, comfort, encouragement, explanation, care. It gives to us the significance of the signs and seals of the sacraments so that we don't carry them out superstitiously. And we hear from them that God cares for His own and Christ. That's why he gives his word. It's why he speaks his word. He wants to clarify what may seem cloudy in us. He wants to supply what may be lacking so that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He wants to equip where there is lack of equipment. He wants to edify and strengthen what's been weakened or is weak. 
He wants to bring to life what is dead, to transform from death to life and darkness to light and hopelessness to hope. And he wants to declare his majesty and his royalty and his attributes and how wonderful he is. And how wonderfully he is to save people like us in Jesus Christ. The word is written so people can be reminded so that they may for not forget that the Lord is good. It doesn't always feel like that is true, but that doesn't change the fact that it is true. It's written so that we would be reinforced when the world in which we live from day to day wants us weakened. He uncovers, does God, what otherwise would have been left a mystery to us. He commands so that we might live gratefully in light of His grace. He calls us with authority so that we might confess with the mouth and believe with the heart that the saving and sovereign God, Father, Holy Spirit, and Christ Himself is the focal point of our lives. And if you view that word uniquely as that which stands out from all else that's written, is it any wonder then? Is it any wonder that people are going to come to worship to hear that word minister to them? That shouldn't surprise us. Is it any wonder that time is taken to read it at home or to study it with others or teach it to our children? Is it any wonder that it is a word that continues to be used to, to, to edify and evangelize? Because it's sweeter than honey and it's more precious than gold. Even much fine gold. It's the reason... That is, that it is a word that is to be preached in season and out of season. One of the very last things that Paul tells Timothy in his dank and dark prison. To convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Can scripture really do all that? It can if it's God's holy word. It can if, if, if these are God's purposes for it. So that by them he may express his special care for his people and express his salvation to them. Christian confession is that there's no comparison between the word of God and the word of man. And people may seek to bash the scriptures or, or lower its values and status to the words of men and, and, and old dead men at that. But those kind of words of men offer no hope, no authority, and no good news to share. Better for God's word to speak for itself. A word to make us wise. 
unto salvation in Jesus Christ. A word that is profitable to equip us thoroughly for every good work. That's, that's the word we're called to believe. Inspired by God. Pointing to the very Christ that the sacraments point us to. To our prophet. When our faith is found in the word of the Lord. Isn't it a blessing? when we recognize the scriptures like that. Not, as our confession says, as that which was delivered us by the will of man, but that men spoke from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's uh, respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, it's good to be able to take a few moments again this evening to have your word in front of us and to be reminded a very basic, very yet profound truth that the scriptures are not delivered by the will of man, but by the will of God. As men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, And this for our care and for our salvation and certainly above all things for your glory. And we have a lot of people that are deceived and being deceived and deceiving. But Lord, may we find that from childhood on, or even if that wasn't the case, from wherever we came to know our Savior, that we would see the wisdom of your word profitability for your word so that we might be saved and walk in the paths to which you've called us. What a blessing, Father, your word is. Lamp to our feet, light to our path. We thank you for them, for their source and their purposes for us in Jesus' name.